Hello and welcome to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. I'm here with Scott Powers. Uh, Danny Sepernich usually joins us for these. She's decided to be absent today for some ridiculous reason. However, um, we are going to continue on without her. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, depositions and witnesses and depots and kind of some unusual situations or your un your 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 not your non-routine witness and how to prepare them how to deal with them um you know and there are several examples of this um i'll tell you what prompted this is is uh, scott and i recently watched a, a videotape deposition of a witness who is an attorney and a 30b6 witness to a party to the case and um wow uh probably one of the most self-damaging um depositions that i have personally ever seen um and one wonders you know could his counsel have done a better job preparing him um, and, you know, given that this witness is an attorney himself, the answer may well have been no. Um, a lot of times, I think, when we have clients that are attorneys, especially when, you know, we're not dealing with legal malpractice or, you know, we're dealing with some area that they're very familiar with, um, it, it, it can be kind of difficult to tell the Attorney, hey, I, I know you really want to say this or you really want to act this way, but, you know, that's not going to come across because as attorneys, and I think this is a good subject for another podcast about why it's so important to do focus groups on more of our cases because as attorneys, we get a little out of touch with what the general public thinks. What the normals think. What Yeah, what, what regular people think about you know as you call them the Eloy be, be, the what the Eloy what's the Eloy come on from the time machine come on man I, I am unfamiliar. the Morlocks are the ones that live underground they eat the Eloy the Eloy are the fair and happy little nymphs that live on top that they initially run into and they say wow people have become very simple I'm so glad that you, are, you have been already been married machine. and had kids and she's locked in it's at this a point thing. Everyone knows she's what, stuck She's, she's stuck. Otherwise, you would be like the, what, 38-year-old virgin at this point? Um, yeah, yeah. I'd be unmarketable. You probably... Arguably, I let me, let me let me Let me ask you this. Did that did that interest in, in those fantasy books that you've got come up before or after she made a commitment? Oh, it, it was one of the... Uh, one of the things we built our relationship upon. She, she oh, you so you found your your. Oh yeah, soulmate. we have we have an Amazon uh, we have an Amazon Echo, I think it's called. Oh, d- and we changed it so that we don't no. say Alexa. Oh. We changed it so that, like in Star Trek, we say computer. No computer. No. Oh, it's so awesome! It no. is so awesome. Just it's like going into the Starship Enterprise in our Dude. house. Things. And our kids are destined for nothing but jock hood and awesome. <laughs> list list of <laughs> things you should not admit. On something that's going to go out to potentially, you know, at least millions and potentially billions of people. Billions. Every person. Billions of people. 
probably, or or more realistically, like hey, you know, six. It, all uh, our, like our parents, crazy. our parents and spouses are going to listen to it, and that's probably it. But um, we hope some of you will be interested in how to deal with these witnesses. Deal with these witnesses. So we have in no particular order. Uh, in no particular order. Pr- uh, first, kind of the evasive witness how to deal with them by evasive i don't mean you know the witness who you know it has a a fifth amendment right and they're asserting it and they don't want to answer a particular question or a question that they have a right not to answer like you know what did your attorney tell you about this or whatever but the witness who clearly knows something or should know something but just doesn't want to say it or doesn't want to use a particular word that 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 they know that the opposing counsel wants them to use. Good example. The guy that, uh, you know, he's in an auto accident and he's being deposed about what happened in the accident. And he's asked, so do, as a driver, do you have a duty to maintain control of your vehicle? And he has to go, well, what do you mean? What do you mean control? Oh, or what do you mean duty? What do you mean vehicle? What do you mean duty? duty? I'm just not exactly clear what you're talking about here. He knows darn well what you're talking about. Yeah. He's just messing around with you. So, Gabe, what do you do? Um, well, I, you know, in my preparation sessions, and I, I, they all begin the same way regardless of the witness, is with a set of kind of basic rules that I have for my clients. And, and I, you know, contrary to what, the, the defense bar may believe about um, plaintiff's attorneys typically, and this is, this is typical of most plaintiff's attorneys I know, is that we have a conversation when we first hire them that, hey, the first time I, you, you, you know, the first and only time you lie to me and I catch you, you're fired. Um, I mean, we have that conversation because I explained to them, look, you know, this is a contingency case. I'm making an investment in your case. And um, so you must be absolutely honest with me in every circumstance, which, you know, differs from the conversation that you might have, say, with a criminal client. But So you're not talking about dealing with a, a witness of someone else's. You're talking well, about preparing your own witness? Prepar- pre- preparing, yeah, preparing my own witness. And then, and then once we get to the depot prep, session it becomes a lot easier because you know my first my first rule is you know tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth and we go over that again and then the second one is and just answer the question okay if the question is you know don't don't try and be cute don't try and be fancy because it's going to come off to the other side as you know, it's going to come off to a jury. There, I mean, it's going to be. They're going to be. Uh, it's going to be. It's so obvious. I you're mean, it's like. It's a schmuck. It's schmuck it's like you know your wife asked you where you were you last night and you're like where was I well where were you last night, you know I mean it's like obvious that you're trying to hide something and so. Um, you know, I tell my clients not to do it. Now, when I get an. an opposing witness that's doing that um, my heart begins to flutter um, 
you know, like I'm, I'm falling in love for the first time. Um, uh, my pulse rises, my eyes dilate. I, I, I get a sense of joy in my heart and I lead them down that path. And I'm like, well, you know, what does duty mean to you? Like, apparently you don't understand this question. I, I and, and I, I try and be as dumb as opposed as I possibly can. I'm sorry that I, I appreciate. First, I thank them. I say, I say, I remember. Thank you for I remember. Of our time. No, I say, I say, I, I remember at the beginning of the deposition. I asked you to let me know if I asked you any questions you didn't understand. And you apparently don't. And, and you, uh, you have done that, and I appreciate that. So let's. Let's go through and figure out exactly which part of this question is giving you trouble. And then I'll say, all right, do you, you understand what it means when I say you have a duty? What does that mean to you? And then they'll start to break it down. At some point in this process, as I go through, okay, you have a duty, all right. And then to, to, to maintain a distance, what does it mean to maintain, what, what does distance mean to you? At some point in this process, they realize that they've made a mistake. And they'd be like, no, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're doing. Yes, I have a do. Well, wait, I, I want to make sure you understand. Okay, so what I'm asking you is, you do you have a duty to maintain a two-second distance between you and the car in front of you at all times? You understand what that means, right? Right. There's no ambiguity in your mind. As to any part of that question, right? We've established that you know exactly what I mean, and I appreciate you bringing that to my attention. And now, having established that, you are prepared to answer that question. Is that correct? You're prepared now. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say, and then and I say, okay, so you have that duty, right? Yes. And then I'd move on to my next question about, all right, and you have a duty to keep a proper lookout so as to avoid other obstacles and other motorists on the road. Yes. So it never happens again. With the evasive thing then, they start punishment. that you, you punish them by lots and lots of little foundational questions that make it make their answers well, that are they, they reflect how absurd their answers that, are. But but that are done in such a friendly and helpful sort of way like gosh, you know what? In your position, I might not understand that either, and I may, <laughs> I, I understand that you don't know, you know. Now, it differs in a situation, you know, where the witness is, where it's even more obvious, where the witness is a lawyer. Well, what do you mean by duty? Okay, well, what do you, what do you understand? You remember when you went to law school, they talked. You had, Did you have torts? Yes. Okay, what law school did you go to? And then you get it, and then, well, what, 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 who was your torts professor? What year did you take torts? All right, what, and, and in that, what was, do you remember the name of the book? Was it Prosser on torts? Okay. And, you know, and I get, I get a lot of no, information. I don't remember who I, who wrote my torts book. Right. But the point is, is you get, you get, it, it gets embarrassing. And it gets to the point and where if they do remember, now I have the now I have the learned treatise that I can cross examine them on forever. Um, evasiveness in a witness. This is why I, I spend so much time counseling witnesses not to try and get cute and be evasive because it just doesn't 
play it plays right into my territory. You're playing on my ball court. Well, isn't that one of the so? Couldn't we extend what you're saying to the the guys that want to create their own objections? Right, the witness who thinks he's an attorney and he says, "Well, I I can't speculate. I shouldn't speculate." Or I think you're you're asking you're asking me to give you a, a some, a legal conclusion. I mean, it's the same. Yeah, it. but it's the same thing. I mean, it turns into okay. So I I appreciate you. Um, you know, you you letting me know you feel that speculative. Um, you know, I there's a bunch of different ways. What does speculative mean to you? Why is that speculative? Do you was there a point at which you had a chance to observe? the distance between the vehicles did you did you in fact observe the distance between the vehicles were you aware of your speed at the time no you were not aware of your speed so you weren't paying attention to your speed at the time that you were approaching the red light were you aware of how close you were to the other vehicles no you weren't aware of that so you had no idea and it would be speculation because you just weren't paying attention all right Gabe here's another question okay what about uh, when you've got one of those witnesses who gets angry with you? Well, and and I mean that's fun too. But let me let me let me just deal with one more on the invasive thing. The witnesses that I see that are most successful at this with the unprepared attorney is the expert witness who gets evasive, and the reason is is because the expert witness will use the evasiveness. To pull you into their, pull you away from your ground and into their ground. It's like, well, you, you know, when, uh, when examining the heart, there are many different tests that we use. And that's where preparation comes in. I mean, that's a whole different podcast on, you know, preparing to depose the expert witness. But, you know, even, yeah, even when that happens... You the the experts are the experts are the ones that are most likely to try it and frankly the most likely to be successful because so many people go into um, especially medical experts go in with less preparation than they should. I mean, if I am going to be asking an, a, a doctor about you know the proper way to dry, diagnose a stroke in a young person. I need to know about all the ways that they teach them in medical school and I need that textbook and I need to go through it and I need to understand who the authorities are and that's why we start those cases when we do take them with hiring expert witnesses who can guide us and say, all right, look, here is the gold standard for diagnosing this particular condition. Here is the professor. Here is the textbook. I guarantee this is what they were taught from in law school. Here's a copy of it you can borrow. When they start to get cue with you, I want you to pull it out from your... And I've done this with the DSM-5 with a certain neuropsychologist who practices in Southern California and likes to come up to Utah occasionally. And it made him extremely nervous to have a copy of the DSM-5 on the table and with my tabs in it. And flipping through it and making him read the diagnostic criteria for the condition he said my client had. Um, because it removes that ambiguity. It removes that ability to be evasive. Um, now, 
What was the What was the next one you wanted to go over? The anger. Well, yeah. What do you do when you've got an angry witness? And I guess as a as a component to that, maybe when you've got uh, maybe I'll say an emotional witness because you also get people to cry. And just let me pair. Let me. Well, it's a bit on this. I need a yeah. I need a scenario. Well, I so we had because there's so many different ways to handle. So we had a witness. Um, and maybe, you know, given that you are more on the, the offensive side, not the defensive side, you don't see this as much. But uh, we were taking the deposition of a, the mother of a deceased child. And it was a multi-party construction case because th- there was an allegation. Why were you taking that deposition? The allegation was that the child had died as a result because a pool fence had been constructed improperly and was oh, able to I, get through. Okay. This case, this is the the case that it has been going on for years. It, no, it's settled. It's settled. It okay. went on for a long time, yes, but it's settled. Uh, but but ultimately, we were taking the deposition of the mother, and understandably, when we're talking about the supervision of the child and things that happened that night and the attempts to revive the child, she got emotional, and everyone understands that. What was insane was how some of these attorneys laid it on so thick and so disingenuously about how so sorry they were about your loss and. I mean, they, I don't know. It, here's the it thing. It was like a parade of attorneys in here's, there that here's were sorry th- to ask their questions and had to gush about how here's, horrible it, it was. And just here's where we're going to disagree, okay? okay. That's, that's the appropriate response, okay? No, no, if I you're gonna If you're going to depose that witness at all, if you're not going to handle that through interrogatories or something else where you can get well, away with so it. So don't get me wrong. I, I think it, it, it is absolutely necessary to express sympathy. Sympathy. And what I'm maybe not uh, conveying right now is how overboard some of them. Well, let me some of them put a record. I mean, I'm not exaggerating here. Literally, of one minute of them explaining how sorry they were and how well, a solid minute of deposition. It can be overdone. Let me give you. Let me give you a bad example. Okay, I was in a deposition with. With I think I can use names here because this is all on the record and and. Uh, I'm comfortable defending it, but I was in a deposition uh, on a case. Well, actually, I don't remember if there's a confidentiality clause in the settlement, so I'll, I'll leave that. I was in the deposition with a a very senior uh, attorney over at a law firm that's located on uh, South Temple and does only defense work and is in a tall building over there, and he's somewhat balding. Anyway, um, <laughs> and... He, this was a case where a my client had yeah, been had been had been um, squashed by a product, and we had alleged that there had been a defective, there had been not been corrective, correct warnings on the container. Okay, the defective warnings. Well, and I I had a senior attorney who was in the case who dropped in to observe me taking the deposition just as a matter of. I don't know if he was doing due diligence on me or if he needed to review me or something. This was earlier in my career. And uh, the attorney started out, we were deposing the, he was, they were deposing the widow. And he started out by saying, no one, I'm very sorry to be here. No one here is suggesting that so-and-so was responsible for his own death. (laughs) And... And the other attorney who was there, the senior attorney, burst into laughter. Like, out and out laughter. And the attorney who had been asking questions just flipped out. He said, so, that is so inappropriate, I don't even know why you're here, why are you, you know, interrupting me. 
he said, he said, well, because you just lied to that witness. He said, it's all over your pleadings. You're blaming him for his own death. So you just lied to the widow about whether or not, because of course you're suggesting he was at fault for his own death. And so it, it just, it struck me as, as I just, I apologize for jumping in, but I just couldn't hold in because it struck me as hilarious that you would openly in the middle of a deposition on the record claim that you're not blaming him for his own death in a case where your main defense is you're blaming him for his own death. Okay, so that is a situation where I would say that's a mistake. Okay, I, I would... You know, in deposing a witness who is very emotional, I would say, you know, I'm very sorry we have to go do this. This is part of the process. Uh, I'm going to ask you some questions. Some of them may be uncomfortable. If you need a break, I I'm happy to take breaks, and I will do my best to be as brief as I can and to be as sensitive as I can uh, while still, you know, making sure that I do my job. And what you just did took 15 seconds. Right. Easy. Um, I mean, I, I kid you not, there were several... And this is a multi-party case, but several people would, when it was their time to ask, you know, the few questions they needed to ask, put a minute solid on the record about all the, the sympathy they had for the situation. And I don't know. I, the bottom line in all this is my thought is... They were competing. You, you, I, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it was. Hey, don't, don't point a finger at me because remember how nice I was in the depot. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it, it seemed to me that it got to a point where it, not, it, it wasn't sympathy anymore. It was this disingenuous piling on. Well, and the, and the widow at this point already is an understanding of who... Has, has the six solid minutes of deposition transcript time we're in. Well, well, no, but the witness at this point in the case, I'm sure, has her own lawyer... And it has oh, a solid okay. oper has has a very good understanding of exactly what the strategy is in the lawsuit and who we're putting blame on and who we're not putting blame on. Oh yes, and is. so no and question. so that is going to be usually my my as my the way I deal with it is before we get started I say something like I'm very sorry for your loss sir you have to be here and then when we get on the record I say basically what I just said. And then we launch into it and we try and get done with it. You know, and I've had depositions where I, I admittedly have not had a lot where I've been asking the questions of that witness because I'm on the plaintiff's side. But I've had questions where I've had depositions where, um, you know, fortunately it was Joe Minnick on the other side who I commend um, as a deposition taker because he tends to be very to the point and... Um, very and very efficient mm -hmm. and so it was not as horrible as it would have been if it had been some of the other attorneys that I've known who will just not take the hint but like you know I, we had a client who was still very emotional at the death of her son in a fire and cried basically the whole time I mean was able to sniffle out a few answers and did her best and took several breaks and came back and was able to answer one or two questions before she, you know, broke down again. But, you know, she was and she was receiving medical treatment for depression caused by the loss of her son. So, like, you know, it was not like there was anything that could have been done differently. It, one could have argued that the deposition almost was unnecessary just because, after the first five or six minutes where he realizes where he realized that the witness is 
so distraught and that the distraughtness is genuine and that they're going to, you know, be distraught the entire time unless there's some specific fact that you need you pretty much know all you need to know, right? I mean, yeah. you know the witness is going to get up and say that they lost their whole world when this person died. So I think defense attorneys do the disservice. I, I, I've, I've encountered more recently the kind of tone-deaf attorney problem uh, than that one where, you know, we had a recent medical malpractice case where an attorney got up and, you know, this was a witness who'd had several... You know, dozen surgeries and and uh, you know scarring across her abdomen and her husband had left her and we had just gotten done examining her but you know the husband had left her and and uh, the the opposing attorney this is a trial yeah and the opposing attorney got up and said something really really in a snarky tone like isn't it true that you know they left you because um, you know, they were, it was cheating on you with so-and-so and, oh, wow. and, um, the jury was like, <gasps> like, it was almost like you could feel palpably in the room. Like, I cannot believe she just did that. And I stormed, I, this was one of the few times I stormed to the witness stand, threw my belongings down, tossed them down on the thing. And I looked at my client and I said, I'm very sorry that I have to ask you these questions because I feel this topic is completely inappropriate. However, isn't it true that, you know, because of these surgeries, your husband found you unattractive and that was one of the reasons for the affair and, you know, we went down that road a little bit, but, you know, and it was like the jury was like nodding and like, you know, damn straight afterwards. And it was like, you know, uh, it, it was like the, the question, it was like, yeah, okay, you can score a point. I can see where you could maybe score a point because we had left that fact out. But it was almost like a bear trap. I mean, we didn't intend it that way. We just didn't delve into it because we didn't want to put the client through that. But, you know, it was it was a bear trap because it was like if she stepped into it and did it the wrong way, um, the jury was going to hate that, that particular lawyer. And that's pretty much precisely what happened. And I, I, I see this tone deafness sort of like, hey, I'm going to score points because my whole theory is, it's, it's an inability to shift theories on your feet in trial. You come into trial if the whole theory is, the, this party or this witness is a liar and the witness gets up and comes off as really sympathetic or as really truthful and you've got to be able as a trial lawyer to be able to switch gears and say okay this witness is coming off as and see in the jury this witness is coming off as very sympathetic this witness is coming off as very truthful so you know what I'm going to get up and I'm going to you know and I'm going to change my tone entirely and be like, hey, so, you know, y you understand not all of your problems were the result of this event, right? I mean, you had other problems in your life, like everyone, you know, and the witness will say, well, yeah, that's true. Because they're honest. They're, so, they're believable. And then, and you can shift. 
And then you can start to get slowly into a few of the other problems without offending the jury and by adjusting to the circumstance. But if you, if you can't adjust, if you've just got your marching orders and you follow them no matter what, you're apt to run right into the buzzsaw. So common sense and compassion, I think, are the... Common sense, compassion, and, and again, I can't stress enough that experience to be able to read the jury, read the testimony, and be able to shift gears on your feet, to be able to say, okay, what I had planned to do, I cannot do. Change it up. Okay, well, what do you do with an angry person then? Uh, angry witnesses are great. I love them. <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's nothing that, I, I, I don't even feel like we need to spend that much time on it just because I feel like, you know, if the witness is really, um, you know, just super upset um, and just barking or, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts of uh, the Posner and Dodd, one of their tapes they put out, Larry Posner says, you know, he talks about emotions, using emotions and being at the level of the jury and not. He says, for attorneys, he says, you can do angry. Every once in a while, when the jury is angry, you can do anger, but you can never be angry. Because whoever, whoever becomes angry first loses. Because you lose control. Yeah. And control is everything. Well, I think that comes to the, comes to the head of the issue, right? The, as soon as you've got a witness who loses control. I mean, if, if I'm asking the questions and they get angry, I love it. I just keep pushing and pushing and pushing as long as I can because it's kind of up to the other guy to rein them in. And as long as they're not reined in, I just keep getting more and more gold on the. And I get nicer and I get nicer and nicer. Like I get I get calmer and calmer and calmer and it drives the witnesses uh-huh, exactly. insane because uh-huh. human nature is if you get angry I am supposed to match you yeah. and we're supposed to escalate together. When I don't, your choices are either to come back and match me, which you've decided you can't do because you're angry. furious about this issue. Or to get mad at me for breaking the social contract and not following you up the ladder of yeah. escalation, and so the yeah those 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 witnesses are are, are very the best simple. Although when I prepare a witness, man, oh man, I mean especially if I know that my client's a hothead, mm-hmm. I've got to kind of rein them in and say no matter what, keep your cool. Yeah, and I mean there are tricks. I mean there are tricks to things like that we all know some of which are within the rules some of which are just beyond the rules um you know i have seen in the in the video you and i watched we saw a attorney give a speaking objection that was ostensibly was given to clarify something and to help out but really the attorney was clearly giving his client a chance to think through his answer more carefully before he gave it uh, and giving him a few seconds to do that. That kind of comes up. I I have seen, um, you know, where the attorney sees the witness is about ready to lose it or is going into a a topic that's going to be particularly difficult. You know, that's when, you know, suddenly the bladder is full and the Uh, break needs to be taken. Um, 
Yeah, hey, do you, can we take a break? I, uh, you know, um, and, and I think, you know, you, you do the best you can, but ultimately, you know, we're, when it comes to testimony, we're facilitators. We're not, we're not creators of the testimony. And so if the client can't keep it together, you know, the client is going to suffer the consequences and, you know, you can't, I mean, if I, if I did a CLE or if I sat down on this podcast and said, Hey, every single out of control witness that you have, I can give you a strategy for how to keep them under control and through a seven hour deposition, um, or on the witness stand, I'd be lying to you. Um, because you, you really just, it can't do that. Um, other issues that, that come up, we tend to have... Well, I mean, we could go over this forever. I, I cannot stand it when you've got a, when you've got a 30B6 designee for one side that comes in and just can't remember anything. Oh, drives me insane. I mean, I think it's a tactically... You know, questionable move on their side to have somebody not have in the wrong in the wrong court in the wrong court. It's deadly. I love it in federal court. If I if I, if I remember correctly, and I could be confusing the, fed, the federal rules and the Utah rules, but um, in a lot of jurisdictions, the federal rules, a thirty b six witness cannot effectively. The answer I don't know is improper. Because the witness um, is expected to have, unless they can, unless you can exhaust it and say, all right, so you have, what have you done to learn the, I mean, I, I will spend the majority of the depot time. If I have a witness that's clearly unprepared, I'll spend a huge chunk of the depot time going over, all right, what did you do to prepare? Who did you talk to? How long did you talk to him? What did you talk to him about? What did you go over? What documents did you review? What exactly did you, and, you know, if there's nothing, I did, well, I didn't talk to this, I didn't talk to that. Okay, well, let's pull out the notice. And did you, what did you do on this topic? You didn't do this topic. You didn't do this topic. Okay, you're, at very least, in most jurisdictions, I think you're going to get sanctions. And in some federal jurisdictions, you're probably going to get either a, um, directed verdict, or you're going to get a um, you're going to get a corporation or a corporate entity that is basically prohibited from testifying at trial because because they're thirty b six witness. Can you, can you force them to answer something if they really legitimately don't know and don't have a reasonable way to find it out? For if them? the company, if the whole company, okay, this is the difference. If the whole company, if they said yes. I went, if we go through and we, I asked, I went through every record and the, the whole company doesn't know and here's why, okay, then they can, then they may be able to get up on the witness stand at trial and say, I don't know, okay. They're not going to be able to get up at the witness stand and say, the answer is X. After having said, I don't know. Right. Now, they may, it may have, they may avoid sanctions by saying, here are all the things I did to prepare, and we were just not able to locate the answer to the question. But um, 
you know, in my opinion, and I know I differ from some judges, some state, especially some state court judges who are a little more lenient on this. You know, um, this is why defendants, defense counsel hates 30B6 notices because, you know, they know that the client's going to put the onus for making sure that they've done everything they need to do to prepare on the attorney. Um, and, you know, I've done a, I've defended a 30B6 witness for a Fortune 500 company before. And... Um, you know, it was, it was very difficult because it's like, well, where are all the records? Well, we're in L50 states, states, Yeah. you know, like, well, okay. So what did you look at? Well, you know, I looked at the materials that were most pertinent to this particular incident. Fortunately, it was a very isolated incident that happened at one location. That's you know, I mean, 30B6 issues are probably topic for almost another time yeah it's so deep and how do you prepare somebody and what do you do when they're not prepared and do you go after them do you not go after them do you rely on the you know just rely on the zero the non-answer you got or do you go after them for sanctions and look for yeah for relief that way yeah the one thing i would say and and to end on um possibly the most difficult witness to prepare is is um is the witness who just is, um, the, I mean, did we already talk about the attorney witness? Okay, the the witness that is the attorney that is yeah, in. The ones where they think. Yeah, we, we 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 well, and we mentioned watching the video of the attorney being deposed and about his business and how you know his non legal business and. Not meaning that it was illegal, but meaning that it didn't relate to practicing law. And, you know, it, it's just very difficult to do something like that because you're dealing with a, a somebody who thinks they know, even if they haven't actually litigated a case, they remember law school like it was yesterday. And, you know, it's really tough to convince them, to remind them that, hey, I, do, I, do I write wills? I come into your office and tell you how to write a will and how to draft a trust? No? Okay, then maybe you shouldn't come into my office and tell me how you're going to answer questions in a deposition. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe you should listen to me, you know. When I when, 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 you know, when, when somebody's getting divorced, they should listen to you about how to get that divorce done. But when... They're fighting over, uh, uh, you know, over ownership of a company and they're in, going into depositions. Maybe they should listen to what I have to say because I, I, I may have a little more experience than them in that area. But, you know, it's hard because even with our well-prepared witnesses, seven hours is a long time. And even remembering the basic rules of depositions, you know, how many witnesses have you had to at, at hour four or five had to had to say is that a yes or is that a no because they're nodding or they're I mean even those basic rules are easy to forget and if you're dealing with somebody who's been trained for years in the law and thinks they can explain it in a way that might satisfy a law professor but isn't going to satisfy a jury in fact it's going to make them look arrogant to a jury um, it, it's very difficult and I, I don't know that it's a task that 
can be, you know, I, I think it requires the maximum, which is for me is, you know, going through all the normal prep and then having somebody else from the law firm who's prepared come in and cross-examine them on video and having them watch the video and then do it again and have them see what it looks like, you know, and maybe even bring in their wife or their secretary and have the wife or the secretary, you know, smacking them every time they say something that makes them sound like a jerk. Um, you know, fortunately, I haven't had that experience very often, but... You should have it more. Yeah, I, I, I pray for fewer... <laughs> Uh, clients that are attorneys that uh, I, I like my I can think of how many I've only had clients that are simple you know regular people who've had horrible bad things happen to them and I can help them anyway thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the trial lawyer podcast we hope we've kept it fresh and kept it uh, at least if 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 maybe if maybe it's boring at least not as boring as you expected and uh, please tune in in the future feel free to subscribe uh to uh to our podcast on itunes thank you very much